We are in part 15 of our 19-part series to the book of Hebrews, and we entitled this series, Our Faithful High Priest, and today's message is entitled, Walking by Faith. Now, if you've been with me for any length of time, well, this little thing's not going to work. It's going to pop the whole time. There we go. Is that better? Yes. All right. If you've been with me for any length of time, you know that I'm an expositional or exegetical teacher, and uh, I have a wonderful respect for healthy topical preaching. I do it periodically myself, but I have never been one of those guys that, that say, here are two keys or five keys or six keys to this or that. Well, I'm going to break that today, and I'm going to give you two keys to success. Here you go. I want you to write these down. If you don't, now, if you memorize stuff, you don't have to write anything down. If you don't, I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you two, two keys to success in your entire life. You ready to go? Now, that seems worth the price of admission, right? You didn't pay anything to get in here. So if it's lame, whatever. Now, two keys to success in your life. Number one is this. Discern the voice of God. Discern the voice of God. It's the only question that matters in life. What is God saying? That is the central, crucial question of life. Number one, success to life. Discern the voice of God. Number two, write it down. Do it. There you go. Now, and this isn't even, uh, you know, and it, and it sounds really flippant and funny and like I'm screwing around. I'm actually not. It is literally the key to your entire success in all of life. Discern the voice of God. What is he saying? And obey. Follow through on it. We are about to read more and more in the, of the heroes of faith in the hall of faith that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. And you're going to look at these people and go, I could never be like that. That is wrong. All they did was say, yes, Lord. That was it. The key to success. The whole reason why we are here on this earth is to do the will of God. The problem is most of us don't take any time to discern what that might be. We are left waiting around and assuming that if God truly wanted us to do something, he would send us a letter in the mail. I would suggest to you that he talks in many different ways to us and is communicating on a consistent basis to us. We need to be able to discern his voice. You say, you know what, Lance, I'm not actually very good at that. Here's my advice to you. Get better at it. <laughs> Figure it out. Learn it. What does it mean? Well, here's how you do it. As you read God's word more and more, you tend to pick up on his patterns of speaking. You tend to pick up on his MO, his modus operandi, his way of doing things. The more and more you talk about him with other people and you hear other people talk about him that know him well, you tend to pick up on how his voice sounds. The more you understand the parameters of scripture, the more you can immediately dump things that don't sound like him. And you tend to track on that which does. It helps you in many ways tune in to his frequency that he's trying to communicate to you and communicate around you. We can learn to discern the voice of God more clearly. Now, is he still mysterious? Yes. Is he still beyond us? Yes. But that does not mean that we are left alone. God is speaking to us on a consistent basis. Discern the voice of God and obey. These are the keys to success. I was reading uh, a number of commentaries in preparation for this message, and I came across this very simple line. 
And it came out of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. The guy that wrote the Hebrews portion of that, his name is Leon Morris. Don't know who he is. I'm sure he's super intelligent. And perhaps he's nice. I don't know. But he wrote this. He said, though he did not understand, Abraham knew how to obey. That was it. He didn't understand everything, but he knew one thing. He knew how to say, yes, Lord. And that made all the difference in the world. What we are about to study is one of the biggest dogs of the Jewish background. Abraham, the father of all the Jewish people. If there is a guy you need to know a lot about, it's Abraham. He not only speaks to what has happened in the past, he not only speaks to what has happened in Scripture, but if you know his story, you understand more deeply what is happening in the Middle East right here, right now. Everything that occurred within his family structure is still echoing out in our world today. You need to know the story of Abraham, and we're going to study that today. But before we get to that, let me drive home my introduction point. It's a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It is this. Perfected faith is obedience to an invisible God. Perfected faith is obedience to an invisible God. And let me allow one other question to echo through your mind as we talk about these incredible monsters of faith. I want to ask you this question. When's the last time you did anything radical with God? Are you still relying on two years ago that that time that you did that or five years ago or 10 or 15 or two decades? Are you still relying on the past of the time that you were radical with the Lord? What I want you to do is to change that into yesterday I did this and the day before I did this and the day before I did this. I'll tell you this. Being radical with God is scary. But it's certainly not boring. Amen? Amen. That's why we live like that. Let me share one last thing as an introductory point. And I want to reiterate what I said last week because I believe it is so crucial. There is a beauty in not knowing details. One of the things that frustrates us as human beings so much, and in fact, I believe it was the thing that made Job snap, is the question of why. God, why is this happening to me? God, why are you doing this to me? What does this mean? Where are we going? And in the very fabric of our being, we crave to know answers and why. But I believe there's a different way to live. I believe that we need to understand and own the idea that there is beauty in not knowing. Why? Because the more we do not know, And we still trust and obey the greater the glory to God. The more information you know, the more glory is diminished. Because we are surrounded by observers. We are surrounded by the supernatural world. Angels, demons, God, Satan. As God tests us, he is revealing things to the unseen world and to the seen world around us. So when we have less information, he receives more glory. I understand you and I want to know details. I understand we want to know what's next. And perhaps maybe you arrived today and one of the reasons you stood up for prayer is because you were in a place of maddening frustration because you don't know what's next. I want to suggest to you 
that I know what that's like. See, in my own personal life, I'm pretty easygoing. I'm pretty much into the spontaneous thing that if we had something planned and you canceled on me, my nature is to go, whatever. But when I leave this place, I want to know where we're going. When I leave this church, I realize that I have thousands of people's lives in my hands, and I want to be able to tell you exactly where we're headed, how we're headed there, and at what pace and all the details. However, we are at a place where God is giving all types of possibilities and I don't have any answers and it's frustrating. And it feels almost as if I'm going backward. It's that I'm having less tools to be able to handle what God is giving me and all that causes so much frustration for me. I don't know. If you are in that place, I get it. But I believe that there is a beauty in not knowing. I believe that the less we know, the greater the glory. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. We're going to be going through verse 22 today. Hebrews 11, 8. In your Bibles, it's around page 1007 if they were under the seats in front of you. to get you there a little bit faster. Hebrews 11, Let me just read through and then we'll pray for the word it says this by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance And he went out not knowing where he was going By faith He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward To the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now these all died, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Will we ever be people of this sort of faith? Are our names being written down in a book that is even now being calculated and chronicled? I believe that we will be. See, I'm never going to be like that. You already are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you illuminate scripture to us? Would you show us 
a different way of living. Father, that we might follow the role modeling of those that have gone before us. And Lord, as we see their failure, would you encourage us that we too are just human in the hands of an extraordinary God. Lord, may we be average, ordinary men and women who have been with you, Jesus, and therefore we are seen as extraordinary. Would you build our faith, increase our faith, and make us mighty men and women of God? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's zoom back to verse 8. Here we go. By faith, not knowing for sure, but trusting in God. Remember, if you know for sure, it's not faith anymore. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. The phrasing that is written in Greek suggests that even while the call was still going out, he was packing his bags. It is in a certain tense that says that while God was still giving him directions, he was saying in his heart, absolutely, sir, yes, and he's taking off. There was an instantaneous obedience here, which is something that... Many of us cannot do. You know, you're going to hear a lot about this idea. We're just passing through and we don't really live here and all this stuff. You've got to live light like you're in a tent and you're able to move, right? God wants to call you. You better be ready to go. Here's what I found about my life. I believe that because of the level of faith that I have in my life that I am indeed living in a tent. I understand that God can move me. I get that. The problem is, is that I have cemented the stakes in the ground. So when he says we're going to move, there is great resistance. I appear on the outside as being uh, mobile or movable. But I think that I'm a little too locked in here. Maybe it's because my kids are here. I don't know. Maybe it's because I can't ultimately picture where I'm going. I don't know. And there are certain times when I feel like I can jackhammer out the tent stakes and actually live in a tent and there's other days when i lay a foundation Hmm. by faith abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he's going i think that's the whole point of the story if you've ever been called to do something by god without all the answers It's very frustrating for the people around you. They're all going to go, hey, why are you doing that? And you go, I don't know. Hey, where are you going? I don't know. They basically have assessed whether they tell you or not that you are stupid. In case they didn't tell you, I'll tell you. But if indeed it is the leading of God and he has not given you all the details, then yes, that is a cross to bear because not everybody gets it. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9. By faith, trusting that God was right, he went to live in the land of promise where he didn't know anyone, he didn't own anything. It's not cool to travel back then. It was not easy. It was not peaceful. To the ancient peoples, even more so than in modern day, land was everything. Ownership 
was everything. Nowadays, we are so highly mobile that we're able to move and fly and go all over the world, and it's this global economy and all this stuff. But back then, when you largely traveled on foot or horse or donkey or whatever it is, you pretty much stayed into a region, and you were owned by your people, and you had a corporate identity. You believed that you were part of something with other people. So when you moved, it was very difficult And unless you moved into family, you were lost. That's what Abraham was called to do. It says, he went to live in the land of, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lived in tents their entire existence. They received this incredible promise, and with each son, that promise was revived and reminded to them, and yet they never owned land in the promised land. They owned one tiny area where they bought a burial site for Sarah, Abraham's wife. Other than that, they were nomadic people, and that is very frustrating when the entire promise hinged around this promised land. They didn't get that. They didn't own that. They had to keep their eyes looking forward, and it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime. It's frustrating. 4, verse 10, meaning why was Abraham okay with his plan? He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I don't necessarily know what he believed at the time. I don't pretend to understand his mindset. I can merely say this, and I think we can all agree. He was interested in God stuff, not earth stuff. Yeah? I mean, he could have just locked down. He was wealthy enough to establish a city. He could have made an incredible uh, life for himself there. But he moved when God said, move. Because his heart and his eyes were directed towards his God. And he wanted to be there wherever there was. It says, verse 11. And by the way, verse 11 is totally weird. I'm about to screw up your world here in a second. Uh, One expositor said, this is every expositor's nightmare. Now you're going to read it and you're going to go, oh, it's actually a cute verse. Verse 11, that's only because they cleaned it up. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now you look at that and you go, well, that was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And how cool is it that the author of Hebrews includes a woman into the hall of faith? That's awesome. I don't know if he did. You're like, what? Because here's how it reads in Greek. And Sarah received the ability to produce semen. Uh, what? <laughs> That's not true. Okay, here's the problem. The problem is, is no expositor can figure out about the organization of the words because that doesn't work together. What it appears to be is that Abraham is the subject of that entire verse. And it's possible that Sarah is mentioned almost in a parenthesis saying, as Abraham received the ability to produce semen, along with Sarah... They look forward to, do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody quite knows how to orchestrate that so it makes sense. But because Sarah is mentioned and other words are linked to her, they throw Sarah into the sentence. But there's a very clear problem 
with putting Sarah into the sentence. So regardless, I don't want to get into all the issues about how do we resolve it. There's like six options and blah, blah. Nobody cares. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is there was no way in the world they were going to have kids. And guess what? They believed that it was possible. Doesn't matter whether or not it was Sarah or Abraham. They both had to go through a challenge of faith. And they both came out looking pretty decent in that challenge. It says this, verse 12. Therefore, from one man, from Abraham, and him as good as dead in terms of having kids, he was way past the age, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. From one man came the entire Jewish nation. Now you go, now that happens a lot, man. I mean, you can go to any family tree of the world and go from that guy, all these people came from. But these were the chosen people. These are the people that God selected out and set aside to be his unfolding drama on the earth. They were the salt and the light of the world. They're the ones that God specially chose out and did special things with them, walked among them in a different way, did the miraculous through them in order to communicate to the entire earth. And he did things that were so special and so amazing and still continues to do that with his people today. All true Jews descend from Abraham, one guy. That's why he's such a big deal in their world. So the author is going to utilize Abraham because he's trying to argue to a bunch of Jews that faith matters more than works or a system. And if he can convince them that Abraham lived by faith, he wins. Because they're still looking and going, well, Abraham did a bunch of great stuff and he's, you know, he's righteous because of his actions. And the author's going, hold up, hold up. No, he's righteous because he believed God. He's righteous because of his faith. His faith spun into living a certain way. And that's what we're being called to. Do you know the story of Abraham? Because some of, some of you don't. Um, So let me bring you up to speed. I'm going to give you a paraphrased version of Abram's life. He didn't start out as Abraham. He started out as Abram. And he started out near where you would assume is the cradle of civilization, where if you've ever heard of the Tower of Babel, right around that area. In Mesopotamia, lower, modern day, it would be near the Persian Gulf, if you remember where Kuwait is on a map, or lower Iraq. That's where he all started from, from the city of Ur. Now, ultimately, it starts out with one family with a dad by the name of Terah. Terah had three sons. One of them was Abram. Another son he had was named Haran. Haran had a son named Lot. As time went on, Haran died. And so Lot didn't have a dad. Well, that's ironic because Abram didn't have any children. That's how they got joined together. It became a family thing. He kind of took Lot under his wing. Abram married Sarai. They together could not have any children. They take Lot under his wing, his nephew, and they kind of traveled together along with the grandfather, Terah. They decide that they're going to head out into the land of Canaan. For whatever reason, they on a map, if you could picture a map, if I had organization, I would have a map. If you can picture a huge map up here on stage and you have the Persian Gulf on the right-hand side, they went west towards the Mediterranean Ocean 
towards what we know as Israel now today. But instead of going straight across, they shot up north for some reason and ended up in Syria. Syria is right on top of Israel. They shot up there and Terah settled down and founded a city, calling it after his son who had passed away. And so he named it Haran. At 205 years old, Terah passed away. Now, I would guess by the order of names, Abraham is the oldest born, Haran is dead, maybe he's the big dog of the crew now. I don't know how that works, but it appeared that there was a bunch of family there, they had all kind of settled there and they decided they were going to stay there. But then, right there in the middle of a family that's polytheistic and pagan, they were not God followers, there was no such thing as God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, why? Because Abraham just got born. There was no such thing as the God of the Israelites because the Israelites had yet to come into existence. So there was no idea of who this great God was. There was all types of ideas that there was a great God out there, but they didn't know who that was. In a polytheistic family, God comes to Abram one day and he says this, go from your country and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Immediately, Abram grabs his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and they take off. They head south into the area that they were supposed to go to in the first place, and that was the land of Canaan. Once they get into the promised land, they're in an area called Shechem. God appears to Abram again and says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abram is now 75. He will not see the promised child by which that will be fulfilled for 25 more years. Here's the problem about how we read scripture. We tend to scoot from one verse to the next without considering how many years happened in between the verses. And we go, man, that is easy to believe because there was like like this happened and then this happened and this happened. You don't realize decades went on in between. It's hard to follow God. So sure enough, a famine creates a short trip to Egypt. Down there, Abram has one of his first recorded faith failures. Everybody remember that story? He is 75 years old. He is 10 years older than his wife. She is 65. She's hot. How do we know that? Because when he gets down into Egypt, he knows she's so good looking that somebody's going to steal her. So he tells her, if you love me, you'll just tell everyone you're my sister. So that way they won't kill me and steal you. They may steal you, but they won't kill me. So that'll work out. This is our father of faith. Fantastic. (laughs) Sure enough, when men are stupid, God steps in and God protects her and brings her back to her husband. They end up going back up into the area and they become very, very, very wealthy. So wealthy that he and Lot start to crowd each other out. And so as a kind uncle, he says, Lot, where do you want? You want to go that way? I'll go this way. You want to go that way? I'll go this way. What do you want? So Lot looks out into a fertile valley, the Jordan Valley, and he looks out and it's headed towards the area that we now see as the Dead Sea. We look and we go, ooh, that's a yucky area. But back then it was beautiful. There was also some really cool cities with like neon lights and they were called Sodom and Gomorrah. And he thought, man, that place is happening. I'm going to go that way. 
So he heads down that direction. Uncle Abe, I'm going to go this way. And Abraham said, Abram said, absolutely, that's fine with me. I'm going to stay right around here. I'll go the other direction, which we think of as the main area of Israel. The minute the lot is gone, God said, hey, Abram, I want you to look around. Look north, south, east, west. This is your land. And this will be your land forever. It says, God comes to Abram in a vision a little later and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Every time you see that phrase where God says, Fear not, what must you assume? They were freaking out. Otherwise, he wouldn't say that. We always look at the Bible and we assume that everybody's all confident all the time. The only reason you tell someone to fear not is if they're fearing right? What was Abraham freaked out about? Well, he kept hearing all this promise stuff, but he didn't have any kids. And back in that day, having children was a big deal because you relied on them later on. Not only was it a family lineage pride issue, but it was literally about taking care of you when you got older. He said, my servant is going to be my heir. And that really bothers me because God, you still haven't answered my prayers. God said, that's not going to be your heir. A son will be your heir. I promise you. It says, Abram, walk outside with me. Look up. You see the stars? So shall your offspring be. And it says, and Abram believed the Lord. Well, right after that, Abram is now 86 years old, and he starts trying to make this happen. He consults his wife. First mistake. And he goes over. Totally kidding. He goes over. (laughs) That's why we need a marriage conference. (laughs) He consults his wife and his wife, and he says, "Hun, we got to have kids. And she said, well, that ain't going to happen. Uh, I'm 76 years old. That's not going to fly. You need to figure something else out. You know what? Why don't you just take, I'm tired of your, uh, you know, constant, we got to have kids. Okay. You know what? Why don't you just take my maidservant, Hagar, and, and you can have a kid with her and we can just kind of call that our kid and, and kind of adopt him in. Now, first of all, do not name your daughter Hagar. Um, does everybody remember the comic strips with the guy with the horns on his hat? And he's a Viking. What's his name? Hagar the Horrible, right? Don't do that. That's bad. So sure enough, Abram says, honey, that's an awesome plan. And they have a kid. His name is Ishmael. It causes all sorts of drama and chaos. And I will tell you this, if you do not know this story, and Abram's story is told from Genesis 11 through 25, you need to read it. You have to know this stuff because it tells you what's happening in the Middle East right now. All of the Jews come through Abram. All of the Arabs come through Abram. Where did it get nasty? Because Ishmael is the Arab line. Isaac is the Jewish line. To this day, they hate each other and do not get along. It all started in this story with two kids. All right, you begin to track through this and see everything going on. Finally, after all this drama and chaos, because he didn't have the faith that he should have had, and Sarah didn't have the faith that she should have had, and they tried to mess with it, and it didn't work out really well. At 99 years old, God appears to Abram again, changes his name to Abraham, and renews his promise. He said, you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Kings shall come from you. I will make an everlasting covenant with your offspring to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give you all the land of Canaan and I will be their God. I do want you to get circumcised. Is that cool? 
So at 99, and as Ishmael was 13 years old, they have a dad son hangout day. Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, and she is told that she will have a child, and quote, Abraham fell on his face laughing and said, that's never going to happen. Why don't you just bless Ishmael? And God said, I will bless Ishmael. Trust me, he will make 12 princes, and he will be a mighty nation, but I will still work through Sarah. Is anything too hard for me? Are you doubting me, boy? Because I will tell you this, Sarah will have a child. Just after that, a little later on, They're hanging out in their tents underneath these big oak trees, and three guys roll into town. One of them's God. God comes up, and he hangs out with Abraham, and he says, Hey, I'm going to destroy this Sodom and Gomorrah thing. And they get no dialogue about it. After they finish talking about that, he said, Hey, where's Sarah? Abraham's like, I don't know. Probably in her tent. Sure enough, she's listening at the tent flap. She's like, you know, what are they talking about? Right? And God said, I want to tell you that this time next year, I'm going to come into town and your wife will have a son. It says, and she laughed to herself. Do you remember this story? She laughed to herself and said, what, seriously, at this age, you are crazy. My favorite part, God calls her on it. Hey, Abram, Abraham, why'd your wife laugh to herself? He's like, uh, I don't know. Ask her, babe. She comes out, yeah, what's up? Hey, why'd you laugh to yourself about me? Are are you doubting me too? What? I didn't laugh. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Calls her on it right there. Faith falter, right? It says that then pregnant and now 89 years old, they go down to another city. But she's still too hot. (laughs) What? Okay, if you're a pregnant 89-year-old woman and your husband has to lie because you're going to get stolen, you rock. Tell him you're my sister, man, because everybody's going to be all over you. And sure enough, the king's just like, hey, whoa, look at that girl, right? Another faith falter. Sure enough, God has to back her up. And I mean, it's the whole thing all over again. Really? All right. When Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90, Isaac is born, the child of faith. Now, what's so powerful about this story? Uh, In my mind... Romans 4.19, and here's why. After knowing what you know, listen to this verse. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith is counted to him as righteousness. If you only read Romans, you would assume that he was a perfect man and you will never, ever be like that. Do you know the story now? Sure you do. Is it a little bit more like us? It sure is. He was a real man, a regular man. But he was a man that said, yes, God, more than we do. Guess what we need to work on? Saying, yes, God, a lot more. Let's pick it back up in Hebrews verse 13. 
These, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Do you realize that the promise didn't even get moving until Jacob had 12 sons? And even then, only one, Joseph, ends up going to Egypt. They don't necessarily multiply until they all get brought into Egypt. Then 400 years of captivity later, keeping them in a contained environment so they would continue to multiply and multiply and multiply in order to fulfill the promise. Then they explode out with Moses in the Exodus. But it is not until Moses dies, hands off to Joshua, till he leads them in the promised land, and then it is fulfilled. None of them saw it. They all died when it was still on the table. It says, and they had acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That means they were temporary residents and they had a house somewhere else. For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, a place where they truly belong. Now, if they had been thinking of the land that they left from, they would just merely go back there. These guys had no interest in going backwards. Their interest was only running forward into God's sight. If, uh, it says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. They wanted the greater, not the safe. Is that you? You want the greater or you want the safe? It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, by faith, when Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. That phrase only son is the same type of phrase that is used for Jesus. It does not mean only son. Abraham did not only have one kid. As a matter of fact, his firstborn was named Ishmael. We know that he had more than one son. So what do you mean only son? That phrase means unique. There was only one of that sort. He was the promised child. There was only one promised child. There were many kids, but only one promised child. God has made Many men, but there was only one God-man, and that was Jesus. He was unique in that sense. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This story is in Genesis 22. You want to hear it? This is the paraphrased version. One person wants to hear it. Praise the Lord. (laughs) All the rest of you all can go home then, because I'm kidding. Here's how the story went, is that you can imagine the sheer power of having a miraculous child at the age of a 100. Everything is hinged on this kid. I mean, it's uh, how careful are you going to be with this kid, right? You know that all of your lineage, the, as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe he was like the boy in the bubble. He never let him do anything, you know? You, you're the promised child, you're the promised child. And all your interest, all of your future hinges on this one kid. And I wonder how much that kid became an idol. I wonder to what degree he had every focus on that. You wonder how much the anger and the hatred grew with Ishmael about knowing that this child was the one that his dad was completely focused on. And there with all that intense focus, God comes to him one day and says, kill him. How much is that going to screw up your world? Sure enough, he grabs it together. It says he immediately does that. He lays the wood on Isaac. We can see an obvious Christ reference, right? Carrying his cross. He's carrying the fire and the knife grabs two servants and they go on a journey because God said, I want you to go up and offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. What a challenge. It took three days to get there. How did three days feel to a daddy who's about to kill his son in three days? 
Do you understand what would crush his spirit? The only way he could wrap his head around it is that as they finally arrive there, he says to his servants, hold on, you guys, we will be back. Because he had to believe that after he killed his child, God would raise him from the dead. That takes a lot of faith. What if you're wrong? What if you didn't hear God right? What if that's not what he said? As they're walking up to the altar and preparing it, Isaac said, Dad, I don't see a lamb. And Abraham said, God will provide. He binds his son and lays him on the altar. How did that go? I don't know. He lays him on there, and as he reaches up his hand with a knife to slaughter his son, God says, Abraham, hold up. I appreciate it. I get it. I can clearly tell that you are all mine. Did God not know that Abraham was all his? Of course he knew that. Who was he revealing it to? Everybody else. Put your knife away. Check that out. There's a ram caught in the thicket. How about you offer up that one? Untie your son. Let's go home. I will merely cite this. I want you to picture Ishmael and Isaac hanging out later on. Talking about dad. Hey, what did dad do with you? You know what? Last time I hung out with dad, we got circumcised. What happened with you? He tried to kill me. Well, what do we get him for Father's Day? Nothing. Right? And I cite the fact that Hagar and Sarah never let them go camping with their daddy again. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Why would you prophesy if it doesn't matter? Why would you speak of the future if there is no guarantee? Why would you bless future nations that would never be? That's faith. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I want you to drink that in for a second. Joseph was sold into slavery at the age of 17. That's the only time he ever lived in the promised land, and that he lived in a tent. He was Egypt personified. He married into Egypt. He ran Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh. He looked Egyptian. He talked Egyptian. He was Egyptian. Everybody knew that he was baked, solid Egyptian. When it's time for him to die, he looks at his kids and goes, I don't know if it's going to happen in your lifetime. I don't know if it's going to happen in your grandson or your great-grandson or your great-great-grandson. But I'll tell you this, I don't belong here. I want you to grab my bones and I want you to go because when God said we're going there, we're going there. And no matter if I'm dead or not, I want to be there. Take my bones because what God says is fact. And it doesn't matter whether or not I'm alive or not. Take my bones, take me to the promised land. Because someday we're going home. You got the faith to talk about where your bones are going to be? Here's the final thoughts of today. The key to success is a dogged determination to say yes, Lord. Period. That's what makes men great. Let's close in prayer and I'll give you the closing challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your infusion of faith into us. We ask you to increase our faith and Father, I believe that that is true. 
Holy Spirit, thank you for healing us. Thank you for making us whole. We pray that you would continue to be praised and glorified here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, your challenge is to listen to the voice of God, discern the voice of God, and write it down. Pray through it. Continue to write down thoughts. Check in with other people. Read scripture. Does this sound like God? Is this in his M.O.? Is this what he may want for you? But listen, listen, listen all the way through the week. Be watching for circumstance. Be watching for everything because God may be communicating to you this week.